Welcome to Iron Sights After Dark. During my 25 plus years in the fitness industry, I've always been passionate about expanding my physical, mental, and hard skills to be prepared for whatever life might throw at me. From fitness to firearms and beyond, taking a holistic approach to being prepared has led me on a journey to seek and share both knowledge and skills from expert resources in the civilian, LEO, military, and first responder communities. The mission of this podcast is to help others expand their capabilities and knowledge of preparedness while building strength in the community that shares similar goals and values. So ultimately, we contribute together and grow together. In this After Dark episode, I sat down with uh, my coach and buddy, Jeff Cheneau. He is a guy that I train with regularly, both here at the gym, but also out there on the range. Uh, We're going to get into uh, performance training for the tactical athlete, and we're going to cover this maybe in a little bit of a different way than most people might come from the approach of uh, a coach rather than the athlete themselves, but also more of a coach's athlete. That is somebody that actually works in the space, uh, both spaces, and applies these concepts on a daily basis. So um, sit back and uh, enjoy this show. As always, we just want to remind you of a couple of things. One, uh, these episodes are sponsored by Red Dot Fitness Training Products. You can find out more about what we do here at Red Dot Fitness, work with a guy like Jeff, who you're going to hear from today, by going to rdftrainonline.com. That's rdftrainonline.com. And if you like what you hear today, uh, it always helps us out if you can go to the platform that you listen to us on and give us a review. So we'd appreciate that. Welcome back to the Iron Sights Podcast After Dark. I'm here with uh, one of my longtime coaches here at Red Dot Fitness and a good buddy of mine, Jeff Chano. Jeff, welcome to the show, my dude. Well, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to have you here. If uh, For those people that listen to the podcast regularly, they have seen and heard from you quite a bit on several of our other episodes, but not an After Dark episode. And in this After Dark episode, the one reason I wanted to have you on is because we're going to be talking about performance training for the tactical athlete. Um, and it, the, the, I guess the context of you being on the show is as being a, a, a subject matter expert in the world of human performance, and then also being an act, very active civilian uh, out on the shooting range and in the tactical space. And I want to kind of define tactical space here in a second. Um, and the experiences that you've had and that I've had with you over the last couple of years now, I think put us in a position to sort of have a, an intelligent conversation about this and a relevant conversation about this coming from our position as civilians and some of the things we've seen as it relates to, let's just say firearms and fitness. So thanks for coming in today, man. I'm excited to kind of dig into a few things. Thanks for having me. Let's just start because we've never really done this on the, on either uh, version of the show yet uh, and just kind of getting a little bit of a background um, from you. So maybe you can just kind of give us the little bio and and catch us up. Yeah. Um, I've been working out my whole entire life. I've been an athlete. Uh, I've been moving since I was a kid. I played every sport imaginable. Uh, the one that I stuck with was hockey. I did that uh, at a very high level. I traveled. I was on club team uh, before it was the San Jose Blades. Now it's the Junior Sharks everyone knows about and mm-hmm. everyone's over there. Uh, at the SAP uh, Barracuda Training Center. Um, from there, I kind of evolved. I started training athletes. I moved to a bodybuilding background. Uh, I got really messed up in that kind of scene. We've talked about that. Yeah, I'm, If you guys have listened, uh, you know that story. I'm, I'm laughing just because you, there's a little comedy in it, but it's yeah. not really cool. It's actually no. quite awful. It, yeah. You know, it takes a while, but 
it put me on a track of kind of, I would say, functional bodybuilding or training in a sense of uh, for the individual, for my individual self. How am I training for your individual self? You know, I don't do this exercise A, B and C, and this is why I do D, E and F. Right. Um, just kind of titrating and getting tight to my training program. Um, and now I've been training for 12 years as a personal trainer, um, really helping people with mobility, back problems, um, herniated discs, sciatica, um, whatever you can really shake a stick at when we're looking at pain um, and dealing with that with the client. Yeah. We, I mean, we see so much of that sort of coming through the the gym from the general exerciser perspective these days. Uh, and that transitions over to people that have been active their whole life too. So I wonder how, what drove the, the, uh, I guess the, the path to get just more knowledge and more secure and more confident with regard to, your knowledge of relieving pain or helping people relieve their pain. Let's just put it that way. Cause mm-hmm. you're not the, you're not yeah. a healer, so to Absolutely. speak. Right? I but, don't do Reiki and I don't have my hands over you. Right, right, right. Unless you want that, you can pay me for that. <laughs> I, I take money cash up. <laughs> no, but uh, the reason why I got into dealing with pain is um, I had pain a lot myself as a child and growing up, I had horrible posture. Um, I went to every doctor in the Silicon, you know, Bay area right here, Silicon Valley. Um, you know, guys that deal with the 49ers, big players, you go in, you get a little cortisone shot. Hey, go see you. Do no one told me I had bad posture. I went to a couple of chiropractic brothers and he looked at me, he goes, dude, your posture sucks. Right. But this is at what point in, in time? Like- this is around, I've been pushing this for a bit. So this is maybe around like 22, okay. 23. Right. And so it's um, later in life though. Yeah. I mean. So I've been pushing through back pain and, you know, going through in and out of doctors and, you know, pain pills and, you know, getting put on a path that, uh, you know, didn't serve me well, but just kind of the Western, you know, the way, yeah, yeah the way here you go. Take a pill, dude. It's all good. Um, when I got to the chiropractic scene and I was just kind of shown, you know, exercises, he taped my back. I was out of pain within a week just from proper posture. And I just kind of saw that there was more to um, pain than I was taught or even saw right. More looking at movement, posture and all these other things. And, um, just going down that path of pain and dealing with, you know, addiction and a whole bunch of other things. I didn't want anyone else to be in pain. And I wanted to use my, you know, kind of experience to help guide and transition and transmit other people. Um, and that's kind of what I've been doing the past eight years. Yeah. You've been super successful with it here. I mean, so many lives impacted at so many different levels. There's been a couple of things along the way, like that have interesting. You were on this path before this stuff started getting popular, but you weren't the only one that was kind of feeling that like there were a lot of us out there that were like, Hey, there is a better way to, to being healthy and living a more vibrant and sort of uh, pain-free uh, active lifestyle. I've been through several of the things that you've mentioned myself and got sort of exposed to it early and was like, Hey, there's, there's, there's more to it here, but there wasn't, there wasn't like a sort of, it wasn't well understood. And again, if we're looking at Western medicine to give us answers for how to take care of our bodies, by now we know that's a, that's a, uh, that's a recipe for fucking disaster. Just mm-hmm. have a look around. So then people started to kind of go to the Eastern side yeah. of things. Right. And that was met with, well, that's all woo woo and that's yeah. all bullshit. And Good then there's resistance. some, right. And then there's somewhere in the middle, right. Mm-hmm. Where these things, two things could come together. And then there's the, there's some other like deeper concepts within those sort of um, realms that uh, people started to uncover and started to maybe make a little bit more mainstream. And there are a few people out there that made a lot of money, uh, quite frankly, kind of preaching the, 
the benefits and the values of addressing things before they come up, but then also how to address them when they do come up for yourself, mm-hmm. right? Not necessarily having to go see a doctor or m- maybe being uh, assessed by a doctor, um, but uh, at the same time, or, or some type of physician or practitioner, let's mm-hmm. just put it that way. I'm going to use the term practitioner, right? Doctor's a really broad term. Yeah. So somebody that's in practice of helping people. And we saw things like come out like uh, functional range conditioning, mm-hmm. FRC. We thought saw things come out or be, become more uh, mainstream like LDO, which is still pretty... Uh, yeah, still pretty underground. Dude. He's still pretty underground. <laughs> he, but, he, he bought that in the eighties. So let's talk about it. So let's talk about some of these things that you've learned along the way, because they're relevant to this uh, performance for the tactical athlete mm-hmm. um, and, and things that they should be addressing early on that oftentimes when we see people come to us after they never address these in the first place. So we're teaching them now. Yep. Um, they learned all these other things about lifting weights and how to run and how to, you know, power through shit, but they, they didn't really learn how to take care of their bodies quite frankly. So sure. I want to talk about that before we get into the performance training for the tactical athlete. Yeah. You know, so, um, multiple modalities out there, uh, you're talking about LDOA and FRC and really what all of these modalities have in common is tissue quality, right? Having a proper awareness and proprioception of the joint and or area above and below it. Um, and when I talk about tissue quality, it is in certain areas, you have different composition of tissue, right? When we're looking at the knee or whatever, if something becomes more fibrotic and I'm trying to go into deep flexion or extension and something is resisting or, you know, creating a, um, a friction, right? Because the fascia is supposed to allow us to slide and glide over structures. Yeah. And so let's just be clear about the fascia because I think it's important that we point this out for, for sure. people that aren't super familiar with the anatomy. Effectively, if you could visualize this, it's like a saran wrap, mm-hmm. right? That covers all of the soft tissue, specifically muscle, muscular tissue within the body. It's also moves into the muscular tendinous junctions and, mm-hmm. and so forth. So it's like a, but within that fascia, it, it's very complex. It's not just like a wrap. Yeah. Um, like if, or in, in one way of looking at it, it's like, if you got, you ever bought, went to the store and bought spare ribs, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and that didn't have the sheath pulled off of it. It's that thin white layer yep. that covers the top. And you, you want to pull that off. Cause when you cook it and try to eat it, it's really tough and mm-hmm. stringy and chewy. Effectively this, there's a web or a network of this throughout the, mm-hmm. throughout the body. I want you to expand on kind of the complexities of that web. Yeah. So, you know, you have this uh, component that has uh, elastin uh, fibrin, which is basically um, where you're getting the fibrotic tissue, right? That kind of hard tissue where it changes composition. Um, What we want is we want an elastic tissue, right? We want that tissue to when I spread it and when I stretch it, boom, it comes back to where it was at, right? Over time, if you don't move that area, it comes more fibrotic and it starts moving to more of a plastic and then what we start to have happen is when that moves into a more plastic area is when we get into rupture, right? And once we rupture, we can kind of come back and train that, but it doesn't change or come back to the way that we want it or it should. It's been remodeled. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great word to use. Um, tissue remodeling is literally what we're looking at when we, you know, people talk about foam rolling, right? Right. Uh, they're looking at more of like a tissue remodel, like, hey, I'm going to realign my fascial lines and all of that. We can get into that later on how that's just bullshit. But um you know, doctors with Graston and with cupping, right. they're trying to bring blood to the areas that are really compressed and don't have blood flow. Uh, they're trying to reline the the fascial lines in different layers, mm-hmm. right? There's four, five, six layers. Who knows, right? There's a bunch of different layers in different areas. And you as a practitioner need to know what tension I need to use to get to this layer and what direction do those fibers run in that direction and then moving up the top and knowing how to do that. Then there's also the whole concept of the individual that you're working on that has all these different 
no, no individual is the same, right? Yeah. So there's a deep level, deeper level of knowledge sure. that you have to have there. And you know, the fascia, it's connected from head to toe. So you have it originating up in the cervical spine at the back of the occiput, right? And coming all the way down to the tailbone, right? And it's a complete structure. So when I move my head and my neck and my tailbone, everything is moving between. Yeah, you're talking about just posterior chain exactly, stuff, right? Yeah. That, that doesn't include all the other, all other, the other your yeah. hips, your extremities, pelvis, yeah. all that stuff. So. Yeah. So that's really just the deep fascia that's around the spinal cord. Right. And then when we talk about fascia, it is literally like you're talking about enveloping the muscle from bone to bone. Right. It goes from bone to tendon, everything. If you were to look at the structure, uh, when you look at a skeleton model outside, people think that the bones are holding up the body. That's not what's happening. It's the fascia that holds the framework for the structure. It's like a bridge. San Francisco, it's mm-hmm. a tensegrity model. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of holds us together. And so you can have more tension in one area that kind of diverts the bones and pulls the structures in different areas. And that's why we want to work with the tight tissue or tissue that's not as strong, right? Getting the, trying to get the structures back into alignment. So this goes back. So this leads directly into the training components, right? So most people are going in and they're thinking, build muscle, build muscle, build muscle, or add power, a power component to the level of strength and musculature that I have. Um, If you've spent time in the military you've been through or even in like law enforcement and gone through some type of a, a, a um, like a boot camp or a basic conditioning, mm-hmm. you know, they'll spend two to three months going through this, basically it's very intensive conditioning program. And over that time, and it's generally done with young people, mm-hmm. right. Who, who have not maybe accumulated uh, as much damage to their body. Let's just call it damage um, stress to their body over time. So, and because they're doing it every day, this PT or this physical training every day, their, their bodies are going to adapt probably pretty quickly, um, particularly cardiovascular, you know, your cardiovascular fitness is going to adapt immediately, Quick. right? Like the, the metabolic adaptations are going to start to show themselves very, very quickly. And then the, the strength and muscular, you know, let's say muscular endurance, muscular strength adaptations tend to happen very fast, but it's, it's very limited, right? You're doing things like calisthenics, pushups, pull-ups. You're not really doing like a more of an organized resistance training program. And I guess my point of this is, is that's what people know as fitness. And that's what they know oftentimes in the tactical space as the type of training that gets them into shape. And sadly, I think that's because they don't have equipment. You know, yeah, I mean, and, and, the, and those that are giving them that training are very limited, maybe on the time that they have, sure. the resources that they have, the knowledge that they have. They're just they're doing what they went through because that's what we've always done. And this is what this makes is sense. standard. And it has been good to see, like, as as the years have evolved. I mean, I remember I was back during I was I was training during uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom Um and I was watching the guys come back. I was living in the Central Valley and they were moving from active into reserves and they were working for me. And then they were also coming into train. It was very uh, heavily um, reservist area mm-hmm. in uh, Fresno, Clovis, California. And uh, it, I guess my, my point of this is, is that as they were coming back and, and trying to stay fit, they were trying to figure out how to do that now pulling together the parts of what they learned through kind of basic training. And then what they learned along the way, maybe in their, wherever they were stationed and that maybe they had a weight room, maybe they didn't. Some guys had more access and some guys didn't, whatever the, whatever the case was. Um, But it was still a very much a let's push as hard as we can. Right. Cause I have to be as stronger than the next guy. I want to get huge. I want to get jacked. They, they saw how being bigger or stronger uh, was 
sort of the answer to a lot of things that gained the, sure. they gained, they got respect. Those guys got mm-hmm. respect or those, those soldiers got respect or they were picked to do this, this these certain jobs. It just kind of comes with the territory. Um, and I think that's, 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 you know, still today, but now they, they're, they're backing off on things a little bit, right. For just sure. in terms of how hard they're pushing the human body, they're recognizing that people are spinning out or getting spun out the other end unnecessarily because they're just being pushed physically uh, to extremes. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, I, again, if you've spent, if you've spent any time and I have not, I know neither of you, mm-hmm. we are civilians. I've never done, I've never been into the, into the service. I've never been into law enforcement, but I am highly, and I, I'm acutely aware of what those training programs look like. I've worked with several athletes or uh, sorry, several service members, uh, active and, and non-active. I've worked with all kinds of people from different three letter agencies mm-hmm. from, the fire service, firefighters, to the FBI, to the CIA, to LEO, and mm-hmm. any U.S. Marshals, anything in between to pass physical um, tests um, or be prepared for whatever their activity should be. And I've noticed some very common things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you have, too. So that that's just kind of my experience kind of working with them all. So I don't I don't I don't come at this uh, per, uh, performance training for the tactical athlete because I was an operator or because I'm on an LEO I've come at it from the, I see what gets spit out the other end, or I see what's happening in action, uh, say on the range or in some of these events that we've attended or whatever. And I recognize there's some huge missing pieces, but there's also some very common things that have gone out there. I I just wonder kind of what your experience is like when you've seen out there, maybe on the range or in your experience with some of these types of uh, professions uh, in the gym. Yeah. You know, when, um, when we're going out there on the range, everyone has shoulder issues. Everybody's rounded forward. Um, and especially if you're on the range shooting a rifle and I mean, you're just working in front of you in your workspace. You want to be right. You're rounded. You're going to be uh, hunched over. It comes with the territory. It does. Uh, and there's, listen, there's nothing wrong with a rounded posture at times. I mean, like you need to be working here. I need to work here. Um, but it's being able to have the capacity to go back into extension, stand with proper posture without these tensions, like, overriding my system, right? With my shoulders shrugging into my ears where I think I'm standing normal, but my shoulder, my, my traps are just taking a huge amount of energy from me. Right. Um, these guys, some of these guys can't even come out of the holster. We got one guy that he pops his shoulder out of his holster or out of, sorry, out of his uh, GH joint all the time. He's super just, he just lacks strength, lacks but he's just, he's a savage. He doesn't let anybody know about yeah. it. It's pretty crazy. But, um, I've, I've seen it happen personally. And uh, I didn't believe him until he was telling me, yeah, I'm like five, six, seven. I'm like, wow, how many times did literally saw it come out, right. popped it back in. But, um, it's really the, it's the strength of the joints that I see that are, you know, glaringly lacking, right? You got these guys who are doing push-ups, They can't even externally rotate their shoulders. They can't control their shoulder blades. Um, they have no back stabilization when they're pressing through. Um, there's just a bunch of things that are neglected because of the sedentary lifestyle. Um, and then you get into where we're getting to the military training, right? They just pop you right into, Hey, you got to know how to push ups. If you pushing up, you got to know how to use your shoulder girdle, right? Shoulder blades have to be working with the GH joint. We got to have proper, uh, glenohumeral rhythm, right? Um, scapulo humeral rhythm. I start talking too fucking fast. Yeah, no, um, no, these, so the, the stuff you're dropping right now, you're just, we're kind of talking about shoulders in general. And I agree with you. What we see are people out there that do not even stand well let alone mm-hmm. move well. And it's like you, like you said, to, 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 to be very clear, having some sort of rounded shoulder posture is not a death sentence and it doesn't mean it's altogether bad. 
it's, it's more like, what are we doing to counter it? And so if you take that posture, that poor posture and poor movement pattern, and, and then you start layering on things like kit. So I'm going to start throwing, I'm going to start throwing, uh, you know, a vest on, right. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to, st- or a plate, plate carrier on, then I'm going to start loading that with max, right. Or whatever else that I've got, got on my kit for the day. Then I throw a sling on my rifle and I hang that sling around my neck, right. You're automatically, and then now I've got my hips, which are now loaded with a belt, which has any number of things on it, obviously pistol mags, uh, dump pouches, uh, IFAX, things like that. What we end up having is, is we have this rounded shoulders, mm-hmm. kind of a forward head posture. If you sling that, that, that rifle around your neck and it starts pulling on that cervical and upper thoracic spine, you're already going into that chins coming yep. forward. Shoulders are coming forward and the counterbalance as you go down the chain happens at the hips. Mm-hmm. So now I'm loaded at the hips. My hips go into an anterior pelvic tilt. Exactly. So they're kind of, if you think of like that, for those listening who don't have never heard that term before, or having a hard time picturing this, think about your shoulders rounding forward, just kind of slouching. If you don't counterbalance that down the chain, then what ends up happening is ultimately you just fall on your face. So your body starts to make these compensations. And one of those compensations is moving into an anterior tilt, which basically means if you thought of your hips as being like a bucket of water, right. And full and level, right. If you tip the bucket forward, that is your, 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 your hips tilt forward and your butt goes back. So you go into that ghetto booty for lack lack of a better term, the water girl booty, right. The water falls out the Mm -hmm. front of the bucket, going to the posterior and, and what we rarely see, but we do see it um, on, on occasion is that posterior tilt. If you tilted posteriorly, you'd be tilting your hips backwards and the, and the water would fall out the back of the bucket. Start hanging shit on your hips, hanging shit on your shoulders. Yeah. And you see a great level of exaggeration. Um, and people are going, yeah, it's just posture. But it goes down the rest of the chain. So now we're moving from the hips to the knees, to the ankles, to the feet. And I see all kinds of all kinds of stuff. And it, and it goes back to your, your original statement there, which is posturally people are in poor positions. And the question is, is like, how does it, how do they get there? And then the the bigger question is, is going back to the performance training is like, how do we get out of that? So mm-hmm. what you're saying is basically our daily activities in general tend to uh, produce these, these types of postures. Mm-hmm. But if you're out on the range and you're training, and again, with this equipment, you're going to be effectively exacerbating this these, these types of things. So we started. And so this is where I think this conversation needs, we we need to continue it. So going back to, that's what we see kind of at the shoulders. What are the, if we're, if these things aren't addressed, I mean, you mentioned the extreme end where somebody has got such poor stability, they're literally uh, subluxing a joint, their shoulder when drawing a pistol at times, that's pretty extreme. That, That is somebody that has some serious issues. But what are some of the other issues that people might be ignoring right now or not, not, not giving credit to that turn into bigger things, maybe not again, subluxations, but bigger Mm -hmm. things down the line. So I think also when, like when you're talking about the hips, um, when we're looking at shoulder pain in general, I'm going to start at the pelvis, right? Because I'm going to look at where your sacrum's at. And if we're in, in flare and out flare now, everyone, probably a lot of people think the pelvis is a solid bone right? You have two bones on the side, which are also three other bones, but we don't get in that. It's one solid bone. You have a sacrum in the middle. Okay. That makes the SI joint on either side. Okay. And that rotates it moves. in and out in flare and out flare. Right. And if, you, and if you've ever separated that, like, like a, like an SI joint injury mm-hmm. or separation, you know how fucking painful that is. Uh, it's, it, it'll debilitate the you. worst. Yeah. Right. And what happens is when we sit 
our pelvis kind of comes up and we, we kind of open up like we're giving birth for, for lack of a better description. Okay. And what happens is the SI joint in the back gets jammed. Right. And this can happen multiple times. So if I'm constantly sitting in a certain direction or I sleep and I have a little deviation in my bed, I can get stuck into this inflare and outflare on one side. And that's going to travel up my spine and rotate me the opposite direction or playing hockey mm-hmm. as a right sided dominant Dude. athlete. Yeah. Right? And you're just on that oblique sling which all is, day, which is what you ran into yourself. Mm-hmm. So just being rotated one way and being able like, dude, my fascia just love, I could rotate left side from, you know, coming through my left as a right athlete. Um, the other side is not the same. It's not. If they're not set up posturally from a strong position, then getting them into these moving positions um, is could present problems down the way. And we already know the deck is sort of stacked against this in a few ways because we probably sit too much. We don't move enough. Maybe mm-hmm. we have some stuff that's accumulated over time. And we've already mentioned, like, if you're a tactical, if you're working in the tactical space, now we're talking about layering gear, throwing gear on, or we're, t- we're talking about being very dominant on one side over the other, which you were alluding mm-hmm. to, right? So the if you're right-handed, right? And you, most people, I do, we do have a couple of friends, interestingly, that uh, <laughs> shoot pistol right-handed and and uh, carbines left-handed. Uh, I feel that's like it's it's wild watching it happen, um, but blasphemy. In, when while you should be able to, yeah, while you should be able to operate both on your strong and weak side, the reality of it is, is you're going to favor and and uh, go to that 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 dominant side for a reason because you're typically yeah. more accurate, faster, and there's a lot of things going on there. Uh, that's a different discussion for a different time. But uh, the point of this is, is as people start to load those that poor posture and that those those uh, poor movement patterns or poor mechanics it starts to accumulate over time. And then we start to see some pretty crazy stuff happen. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things too, is the just load is taken too far. And I'm not saying people are just lifting, you know, crazy amounts for the one rep max, but ego gets into it. You know, us as males, we want to lift and we want, you know, we're around our friends and we're going to put a little bit more on the bar when maybe we shouldn't, we should back off a little bit, focus on our bracing, focus on the proper form, right? Comes with the territory. It does. And I think if you if you do have these joint problems and you're able to back off a bit and kind of get through good form over time, you're going to learn that movement's going to be phenomenal and your body's going to remodel and mold to that movement. But if you start pushing it to where you're getting into, I don't control this range. And you know, with a barbell on my back, I can't squat to the depth I can with 135 on my back. That's an issue, right? Right. That's an issue. Um, I'm using the weight to counterbalance myself, to pull myself down into the hole. That's not my, that's not my range of motion cold. Right. I'm going to have a possible area of injury. Right. And just real quick, that's called motor control gap. I have flexibility minus what I can do active. Right. So if I can lift my leg up to 90 degrees, you can. Scott, you can pull my leg up to 90 degrees with me on my back. That's massive. Yeah. But me active, lift my leg up to 70. Now I got 20 degrees of discrepancy that I want to add to my control. Right. Because I have 20 degrees that I don't control. I want to control everything. Right. So if I have a passive range, the active range needs to match that. Right. So it'd be the same, like, and then where we were coming back to with regard to the shoulder issue with the guy that, that, that has the dislocations that happen. Mm -hmm. We're talking about an instability, right? Um, And so going back to the weakness piece, like in in the not having the active range. Mm -hmm. So how do these things start to stack up? Right. Um, Stability is extraordinarily important. Stability comes from strength, Mm -hmm. right? Strength and that stability, the strength within the stability comes from an awareness and a connection, right? There has to be this connection to it. And you just mentioned passes versus versus active ranges. And you use that that example where if I'm lying flat on a table and I try to lift my leg straight up into the air, so my Mm -hmm. bottom of my foot's facing the, the ceiling, how far can I get that leg 
under my own power yep. straight. For most people, they can't get it to 90 degrees. No. Right? They can get it to maybe 60, sure. you know, or, or sorry, a little bit, a little bit more than that, uh, more than that. Maybe it's like 120 degrees or something like that, mm-hmm. right? I can get my leg to 90. I can get it past 90, but I'm going to need you to push it there, mm-hmm. right? That's my passive range. So switching over to the exercise, you were talking about the squat, right? And the the difference between squatting 135 versus squatting 225 or yep. whatever, and not being able to get to the same range with the heavier load. You don't own that range right? You don't, you don't, you're not controlling that range, right? Your, your, your mechanics start to change. You have maybe have to bounce to get it out. And basically mm-hmm. what you're saying is that 20% is the place where you don't have strength or control, which means you don't have strength or stability. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is, is you start to overcompensate over time. Sure. And as those overcompensations happen, it's happening because you're weak. Mm-hmm. It's happening because you're weak. And what I see is the tactical athlete all the time defaulting to let me power through and push through shit sure. and to your point, like on the range, if you're out there with your buddies, inevitably it it's always a competition. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> so of course that translates into the gym to, to some extent, whether you're training on your own or you're training with your buddies, you're always trying to kind of outdo yourself. It's like, if I'm not outdoing myself from the last time, then I'm, uh, then I'm failing. Exactly. I'm not, if, and if I'm not suffering, I'm not working hard enough. It's a healthy push, right? I mean, you want to push yourself. You want to get better. I mean, if you don't, what, what are you doing in any realm of life? You know, I mean, I always try to strive for perfection, knowing that I'm not going to get there. Uh, that's just kind of me and the way that I think about things that I'm doing. I don't want to really waste my time. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, other people have different, uh, different goals and, uh, yeah. they're, and they're, they're, they're driven for in different reasons. So we're talking about this performance um, sort of programming. The reason I wanted to spend so much time there is it doesn't do you any good to be the fastest guy out there on the range if you can't handle your body in moving, right? Like we've talked about this before on this podcast, just about the difference between we just had a recent incident, right? Uh, recent recent shooting in a mall. Um and it's, it's, this one's going to go like wildfire for quite, quite some time where a civilian took out, uh, was, uh, constitutionally carrying his own firearm. I love it. Cause they're both in the gun free zone, right? right yeah. They're both on the boat side. There's, there's a lot that goes into this. I don't want to get too, too far down that path. Maybe a different discussion for a different time. But the, the bottom line is, is like, if that's what you're training for, and I would, I would argue that all, most of the people that were out there on the range are training for those exact type of situations. Yep. You're at the mall with your grandmother Mm -hmm. and the next thing you know, there's some human piece of shit that is trying to um, basically, you know, do evil to those people around them. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be three yards. It's not going to be static on a piece of paper. It's not going to be squared up to you. Um, You are going to need to move at some level. You, you may need to be shooting from awkward positions and, and um, uh, it may go on for a long time. You know, who knows how long these things go on for um, in some cases, hours, in some cases, a matter of seconds. Uh, but the point of this is, is what we see out on the, on the range is people kind of always kind of gravitating to the thing that they're the best at mm-hmm. without taking into account all the other factors that um, um, effectively are diminishing the result that they are ulti- that they're ultimately striving to get. It's no different in the gym. So training, performance training for the for the for the, the tactical athlete needs to uh, encompass a lot of things. But the first thing it needs to do 
in my opinion, is it needs to focus on the fundamentals and the basic mechanics. Mm -hmm. And those are not often addressed in a lot of the programs that I see happening out there. And whether it's CrossFit, I'm not going to talk shit about CrossFit. There's a lot of good things that I think CrossFit brings to the table. Or some other Navy SEAL training, police training program or whatever Mm -hmm. else. What they are not addressing, and most of them can't address, is the components that you're talking about right now. And it is those components that end up being the reason they can't perform at their highest level, uh, both on the range and outside of the range in the end. So what I see happening a lot of times on the range is we start to add movement drills in. This is where I see people, maybe they're not, they're not giving credit to the basic components of being able to move well Mm -hmm. and control your movement in all planes and ranges of motion. And that is simple drills like moving laterally, Mm -hmm. uh, moving laterally and being able to shoot. Now, some of the people would say it was like, if you're moving laterally, you should be moving to get to cover and then Mm -hmm. shoot. I I don't want to get into that debate now, but there is something to be said for moving and shooting. Um, and putting rounds on target while you're you're walking, not running. You need to put rounds when you need to put rounds. Right. Why is it that you have such a, or why is it that you have a harder time if you're right-handed moving to the left than you do moving to the right if you're working at the same angle? Um, obviously, the way you're holding your 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 weapons platform or whatever, and the the direction you're pointing it will contribute to uh, angles, right, and difficulty of angles. But I know because my back is fucked, no matter how much I work on it, when I'm moving left, right, and trying to move and trying to fire right or sh- even straight on, I have a, I have a lot of limitation there. So I, I, I work on that in the gym constantly because I know how bad it has been sure. and, and where it is now. But I don't think people give credit to that. They're just like, oh, I, I just need to turn my body more. Y- you're not going to turn your body more because you're not addressing the things that help your body turn. For sure. Right. The other thing would be like this uh, moving from prone to kneeling to standing um, and the mechanics that go involved there and what people do is laying flays down on the floor and people can't do it. Like shooting prone. It. Yeah. Shooting prone. They don't they don't have shoulder mobility. Right. They don't even have the neck extension to be able to earn thoracic extension to be able to get into these positions. So you see them compensating in ways that, uh, you know, are maybe not, let's just say, realistic. I mean, because you, you know, you're setting up with bags, you've got even like, again, we'll talk about plate carriers. Plate carriers can be an advantage mm-hmm. uh, up a little bit because it props you props you up a little bit. What if you don't what if you don't have those kinds of things? I don't think these things are taken into account. Um, so we got to address this mobility and stability piece within our strength training program for sure. before we start layering on a bunch of other things, even the cardio programming. Because without the stability and the mobility perspective or uh, uh, components, working into the the cardiovascular program becomes problematic. We Absolutely, see, we see this all. If I don't have movement variability, and I'm just coming through and I'm running, right? And I have my hip just jamming in the socket the same way, right? I'm going to all of a sudden have a breakdown of cartilage over time, right? Not within a week, but like maybe years. What I want is I want to have a hip that when I take a strike, it's not hitting the same part of the uh, acetabulum, right? Where it inserts. Yeah, that ball, ball and socket. Exactly. Short, so right? it's, it's constantly has a different movement, even with the same movement pattern, right? It's not hitting the same spot. And that's what we're talking about with the freeness of joints. We don't want our joints so compressed. Yeah, the gravity is going to do that, but we want to try to have some sort of decoaption. And that's where we get into Eldoa and that kind of realm of creating space in the joint that's compressed, allowing hydration and nutrients to come back, blood flow and all of this proprioception and awareness to the area. Um, but with the biggest result being space created, um, 
that's the goal sometimes. You know, sometimes you have people like we're talking about rotated. They have a AC joint that's compressed on one side, being able to create space there, the SI joint, be able to normalize that area. So the structure is now in alignment. It's not an in flare and out flare because um, this does travel up into the shoulders. So there's a bunch of things when we're talking about mobility and stabilization for this athlete. The biggest thing is now, can I move? Can I get into a position comfortably without restriction? And can I stay there for an extended amount of time with proper form repeatedly, and repeatedly? And th- once you can do that, OK, let's go into now doing pushups, because if I can't just lock you into, let's say, um, basically like a uh, like a full extended uh, plank, if you can't brace your shoulder blades there and, and hold the protraction and what you need to do in that position, we shouldn't be doing pushups you shouldn't be doing a ton of movement you know yeah. if you can't row properly with your shoulder blades pulling back and depressing as you go into an extension we need to find a way to get you to be able to do that well over yeah. time yeah. and for a long period of time because these guys are out there like you're talking about with the plate carrier on so the plate carrier and the gun are pulling me down into flexion i need to stand to extension so there's some exercises that we can do to combat that where i'm going into extension with the barbell pushing my traps back coming into extension letting my spine come into flexion right so i'm strengthening that high thoracic back, right? Mid trap, low trap erectors to where when I put that on, I'm stronger there and I'm not, it's not causing me to think down. I'm a pretty strong dude. When I have that uh, rifle around me and I have my play carrier on, dude, I am fatigued. Dude, I'm folding and we're out there for three or four hours. Right. And so I myself have to come and strength train, even when I'm doing rows and deadlifts and all this stuff, I have to really focus on the postural piece of, okay, I need to stand up tall. Because just rowing and doing deadlifts and these exercises, yes, they'll help, but there's some really specialized things that you can do to really mitigate a lot of these issues that we're seeing. Yeah, and I think the 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 thing I'm going to call out here is the specialized thing is not to do your weight training with a fucking vest on with the no. with a plate carrier. I don't. So people I, think body weight is like, oh, that's that's light. It most people can't control their body. If I have, I can go outside on right now, even grab one of our trainers and have them do sideline leg lifts. They probably do 12 to 15 to, at failure. Oh, my hip is cramping. Like, dude, you should be able to move that leg 50 to 100 times sitting there without failure in one rep. Like, right. So there's just a lot of us have these sedentary issues. Yeah. So the the going back to the play carrier thing is there's nothing wrong with training with the with the play carrier on on occasion. Right. But to make it a mainstay of your movement to try to correct these things that you're that you're mentioning or strengthen in areas that were already weak is, is not helpful. And particularly loading the body and then trying to take it through movement patterns that are already shitty um, and through and make your joints uh, work through uh, movement patterns that uh, they're not effective at moving at without that extra load Mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense at all. It's a rite of passage. It it might look sexy. You might be able to join the club, put your shit up on Instagram, whatever else. This shit is that this is advanced shit. Right. Dude, I'm you not ha- sweating in my cry play carrier. You're fucking right, kidding. Right. Me. You have to have a very you have to have these fundamentals before these baseline fundamentals. And if this isn't making any fucking sense to you, let me explain it or let's explain it a little different way. Jeff, am I gonna be more stable one handed with my pistol or two handed with my pistol? That's a great question. Two handed. Right. Because and and so the the analogy is is I need a stronger base of support, mm-hmm. right? Or I don't have to have that base of support, but I need to understand that when I give up a base of support or any level of base of support, things are going to get compromised. I have to slow things down. I have to take it a, a little slower. I have to, re- there's a recovery period. If I'm firing one handed with the pistol, there's more 
the, the recoil is the same, but I don't have the same platform to enable to brace that recoil or absorb that recoil. So it takes longer to get back into onto target, right? Now, again, this can be trained over time. And the nine millimeter recoil, if you're using the same ammo, the same, the same gun, you know, whatever else, that's never going to change. The recoil never changes, right? It's your ability to control it, mm-hmm. right? We start adding things on, right? Like you added a larger caliber. Well, now that changes the feedback mechanism, sure. right? And that's going to challenge the, uh, how much stability you need to have. So if you went from nine millimeter to 10 millimeter, basically a little bit of a hand cannon there when you start mm-hmm. to start stepping up to that, it's going to change things. So there's this overload principle that happens. That's not what we're doing in firearms training. We're using the same, the same, usually we're using the same, uh, again, platform mm-hmm. ammo within, you know, Absolutely. negligible, negligible amounts. But in the gym, we're constantly loading, 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 or we're trying to, we're trying to replicate situations in the gym as if they would be on the, on the range. There's a, there's some value in that at some point, but if you want to be, if you want to be a rower, you know, a good rower, don't go to the fuck. The, the gym isn't going to make you a better rower. The gym can help you mm-hmm. be better at the rowing, at the rowing that you do do in terms of resiliency, the power, the strength components that you can, but you got to get in the fucking boat and row. Yep. Right. It's the same on the range. Like being in the gym and working out is not going to make you a better shooter. It can give you some things to help you be a better shooter. Um, it's the SEDS principle, right? Specific adapt- adaptations to imbo- impose demands. And what I, again, the tactical athlete uh, or tactical performance training doesn't mean running around a fucking weight vest. It just doesn't. It means, to me, what it means is establishing the strongest platform, right? And then building fundamentals on top of that so that I can move to a level of skills mastery. Mm-hmm. And once I have mastered those skills, then start to push those things to the next level. It's the same in firearms training, right? Trying to do black belt shit when you're still a white belt doesn't make a lot of fucking sense, but you see people doing it all the time and you see people preaching it all the time on the range and practicing it on the range, but then they go to the gym and it's like, they've completely forgot about those, those principles and those, those fundamentals. Mm -hmm. And so while again, the discussion is about performance training for the tactical athlete, it's more about what do you need to do to even be in a position to train performance, to be more tactically sound out there. And, and what it boils down to is, is again, establishing those fundamentals. So you talked about shoulders, right? We talked about, and we talked about hips a little bit. Um, common problems I see with regard to hips are people not being able to get into, cause this is getting popular. Sorry, let me back up. I see a lot of people working around barriers and vehicles, mm-hmm. right? So they're getting out of seated positions. They're running around cars or having to get into a lunge or mm-hmm. a kneeling position. Then they're having to get down to like broke back position where they're <laughs> shooting around a tire or even lying prone mm-hmm. kind of fetal positions, things like that. And this is where I see people really, really get challenged and they're very surprised, um, and I think it's less about the accuracy that they don't have in those that position, those positions, and more about the fatigue management that they are unable to For withstand sure. during the 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 constant repetitions that they're getting in yeah. the, in those situations. And that goes back to what you're saying, and that is not having uh, a good connectivity, a good conditioning of those those basic movements, and being able to get into those 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 particular positions. Um, hips, low back. I see as being one of the, the biggest limiters, um, contributors to that. You know, it's crazy. Uh, traps as well. When you're getting in, I see a lot of guys that are just overly trapped. And when they get up to hold that gun, anything, they start to shake over time, especially with the rifle. Um, just cause they have so much tension 
getting take there and you don't really know, right? It's taking so much energy. They start shaking. Um, being able, and when we're talking about full body, obviously you you have upper cross syndrome, which is what we're talking about. The shoulders forward, the head extended, uh, thoracic flexion, all this. Um, and then you have lower cross syndrome, which is the complete out the anterior pelvic tilt, the backs and extension, the abdominal areas. The counter extremely, to the yeah. top. Right? So if I was just going to just throw some things out there um, to really get to help line this up is one to get your glutes firing again and to get the low rec fem firing to get the and to get you out of an anterior pelvic position. Now I'm a hockey player for a lot of years. My body has rewired to be into more of an anterior pelvic position. And that's where my neutral is. And if I try to go anything back further, I start to flare my ribs and I just don't have this good alignment. So when I get in aligned, I'm actually kind of in a forward plumb line. It's not completely straight. I'm slightly forward, but my whole structures are in a line. This might sound very familiar to a lot of people because a lot of, a lot of people that I see are kind of been power athletes at some point. They played mm-hmm. football, they yeah. wrestled, they're, they're, uh, they were grapplers, you know, or, you know, they were in some type of power sport, even baseball players. You're in that you're in or uh, softball players too. You're in that power position, mm-hmm. right? So it's hip flex, knees explode, flex, yeah. you know, your chest is out over your knees or shoulders are out in front of your knees or whatever. So over time, as you, you, the way you stated it was your body's just wired to be that way. So mm-hmm. you're not going to completely un, unwire yourself that way. So it's about w- understanding that and yep. working, working through and being it. Being like, Hey, I know I'm a little anterior pelvic, you know, uh, dominant. I need to focus on my glutes and my low abs. And that's what I do in kind of a warm up, And then in a, like a finishing strengthening. So let's talk about it. So let's talk about like a little bit of the warm up piece to okay. kind of get things activated while maybe downregulating other things for sure. Uh, and then some of the exercise selections you might choose in order to address those, sure. uh, the, the hips and so low back, you know, being in an anterior pelvic position, you're going to, your back extenders are going to be tight, right? We're going to have the abdominal, the front abdominal, uh, rec fem extremely weak, and we're going to have the hip flip hip flexors shortened as well. So just de- kind of looking at the scenario, I want to stretch my hip flexors. I'm obviously not trying to stretch my hip flexors before I go into deep squats or anything. So kind of coming into uh, maybe just like a body weight squat, holding onto the rack, dealing with your hips, cat cow, right? Coming into flexion and extension of that area, gaining awareness um, and just kind of getting the tissue sliding and gliding that don't really move a lot. Um, so if I, for instance, if I have someone coming into a squat and they butt wink, which is they're not able to hold extension of the spine, right? They kind of tuck to get into this yeah, hole. The, the, the tailbone rotates yeah. under real fast. The right? hamstrings don't want to load. That's usually what that is. The hamstrings are just like, well, you've, or yeah, you've reached and you've reached a range to which yeah. they can no longer. And some people either have the femur, it's a different length and it has to rotate around. I mean, I, I, I truly believe that that's extremely rare. I think most people just don't know how to load that posterior aspect okay. um, of their glutes and hamstrings, that lower tie in. So we're, so we're getting the glutes to fire yeah, back glutes on. to fire. We're getting the low abdominal cavity to come back. That's going to help get the, the, the pelvis more in a Online. posterior uh, position. And then that's going to travel up the spine. Right. And if I focus on that and I focus on my abdominal cavity, I'm going to have more strength and more stability up top to hold my thoracic spine. And then your butt and then your your thoracic spine shoulder girdle will be more ready to accept mm-hmm. any of the work that you're putting in For up sure. there with regard to getting those shoulders to come out of that forward For sure. and to, or, uh, um, upper cross, you know, position and be more retracted, more depressed. So you mentioned starting at the hips, mm-hmm. right? Starting, starting at the, at the pelvis. What are some of the things you're going to do to warm up, right? Or, and activate those areas prior to getting into the squat, which you used as the example exercise. Sure. So there's things like the 90, 90, 
That's a really, uh, really good. Uh, gets one leg into external rotation, one into internal rotation, both into abduction, right? And we're trying to hold our posture up high. Mm-hmm. And we're really, so there's a piece of fascia that goes, like I talked about, from the back of the head to the heel, right? And so what we're trying to do is keep this erect while we're going through and lengthening the hip. Right. So I'm trying to get tension on the back hip capsule as I come through this 90 90 position, uh, really getting a stretch. And we're focusing when we come down, getting anterior pelvic tilt and posterior pelvic tilt. I'm working through my hips, not my spine. So there's some really great video on our YouTube channel. If you go to the Red Dot Fitness YouTube channel, where Jeff walks you through this very uh, specific movement. And for those of you that are trying to kind of visualize what 90 90 looks like, it, it could be compared to like the pigeon pose. It sort of looks like pigeon from yoga or whatever, where you've got that that leg out in front of you. It's at a 90 degree position at both the hip and the knee. And that back one in pigeon is usually straight. Yeah, it's straight. And this but in this case, the side. it's yeah, it basically is like a mirror image of what's going on in the front. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it typically it that what that does is unloads the hip flexor on that on that rear leg a little bit more, which you're going to need to do. Otherwise, when you're just cranking that pelvis mm-hmm. out of position. So um, unless you have. A, a, a extraordinary level of mobility, right. Or, or flexibility, sure. which is a, a different topic, which we'll cover on a uh, different show, but um, I don't want to bore the guys with all that right now, but so getting into this 90, 90 position to start to gain uh, uh, mobility within the rear or the posterior chain, mm-hmm. what else is happening though? How are you doing that? And I don't want to go through all the little, it's, it's, it's uh, bits and pieces, but are you just, just kind of laying forward on and let gravity pull you down? No, no. So all of these are active, right? And at any time I'm trying to train mobility, there there really shouldn't be a passive piece unless it's going to be the first piece to allow me to gain more range so I can train within those ranges accordingly, right? I'm not going to sit and open myself up and then get into a one rep max. It's not, it's not that that's not what we're doing. We're opening ourselves up passively to add little active inputs in which now I, I can control this open range that I've just done. And we're going to do this over time for months. So you're not just flopping down on the floor and no lunging forward while you're checking your cell phone and Dude, scrolling through your Instagram. If I see a client look at the front door that opens, like, oh, who came in while they're doing shit? I get so pissed off. You need, it's, Dude, so we're talking about intention. You can't, you can't, like when I'm doing these things, I'm extremely focused. Where is my pelvis? Is my ASIS bone prominence on both sides. Are they in alignment? Cause if they're not, I'm rotated and now I'm doing the complete opposite of what I'm trying to do. It's, it's as good as being on the firing line and not paying attention or being distracted by what the task in, at hand is at, at that time. Again, we're trying to build fundamentals, mm-hmm. right. And, and, a, and a structure, uh, a platform for building on top of. So, all right. So we got, we got 90, 90. And so that's why these conversations are hard for me because I want to give everybody everything, but I'm going to tell you right now. Um, it's just like you go into PT and me being like, Hey dude, do the 90, 90, do the frog. This will and fix like, you. like, wait, okay. He said to do this, but like you got, you're doing it completely wrong. Right. And it's just, it's butchered. But yet, like I want to, I want to be able to give you everything in this movement, but yeah. yet it's almost hands-on. And it's kind of a lost art, to be honest. Like people are just I like, agree, oh, here, here's a package, do this. And then like, there's been times where I'll just touch someone somewhere and they're like, oh. Changes wh- their life. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. I had like, no idea that even existed. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, yes, these are exercises and things that you can do, but if you really do have pain and you are limited, you need to go see somebody or right. talk to someone that actually knows what they're doing and maybe get a couple sessions yep. or a program, you know, like an online touch, but someone that is truly not just handing you a packet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of great physical therapy people out there. I've only met like a handful, but um, like most, most are just 
here's a packet, do your stuff and yeah, come back. Yeah. Because that's what they're been taught to do. Cause that's the way they've always done it. Yeah. But this is, this is, it's a this high is the level same as standing in your garage or in your hallway or in your bedroom, whatever dry firing. Right. And watching YouTube videos on dry fire videos, you can compare it to, you know, that and going to the range and having an instructor, somebody that a high, highly skilled, high level instructor actually take you through what it's going to look and feel like for you when we are actually live firing, yep. like correct the things that you can't see and you, mm-hmm. you don't have awareness Absolutely. of and build upon that. It's the same with regard to your performance training program. Mm-hmm. Um, and that being it, it's going to be often the littlest thing that can make the biggest difference and give you the biggest return on, on result or uh, yeah, return on investment. You I, look, man, I hear your frustration because I've been doing this as, you know, longer than you have. And people are like, so what do I do for, you know, what do I, I just want to lose fat. Tell me how many calories I'm supposed to eat or whatever. It's like, Oh my God, like it's insulting. It is, yeah, like- so I don't mean to insult you, but what you're talking about, I don't think is, is low level at all. It really is. Is like, look, we need to open up the posterior chain. We need to open up that hip, those hips so that people are ready to accept the movements that they're about to put themselves through and um, start to earn or learn and then earn those appropriate ranges of motions to help them be better at their performance down the line, whatever that happens to be, whether it be in the gym, on the range, moving laterally, moving from prone to kneeling to standing, uh, whatever the case might be, even just standing there in your kit. Right. So that's kind of one of, one of the, uh, so you mentioned opening up the posterior chain. You also mentioned opening up the, the abdominal cavity and particularly hip flexor. Uh, you talked about rec fem, right. And what's going on at the, maybe the psoas or iliopsoas area. Maybe you can walk through what would, what would one of those look like? So for the psoas, um, when this gets tight, it dumps the pelvis into the anterior pelvic position that we see a the lot. Bucket, the bucket tilts forward. And right. a lot of people don't understand this. Um, I've had many arguments with people on the inter- interwebs because that's what they like to do. It's a great place to have comments and talk to people. Um, <laughs> I never heard of it. No, no. So they like, they, the hip flexor, when it gets tight, it pulls forward it pulls your spine forward into extension so i literally have duck butt or instagram girl booty whatever you want to call it so i'm sitting down in this 90 degree position my body wants to stand up and look forward it's not going to stay looking down at the floor i want to see where i'm going so i'm going to start flaring my ribs and i'm going to stand up tall Mm -hmm. right so dealing with this i want to tuck the tailbone into a posterior tilt and i want to try to get my lumbar spine into flexion where i'm pushing my belly button behind me and I'm driving my knee behind me in extension as I lift the tailbone up. So it's like a reverse abdominal crunch. Exactly. Right. While I'm driving that knee back and going into a forward and slightly lateral lunge. Right now, again, this is something that I just told you, go get into the stretch for each person that's probably going to go try this. It's not going to be right. And it's going to be a little bit different based on individual structure. Yes. Every person's going to be different. And that's where this tactile and human perform like human application comes into where I can see you're doing a, B and C. And I want you to do, Hey, do this, pull away from my hand, push here, do this, get up, you know? Oh, Oh, wow. What, you know, breathe here. You start to have these impacts on people where they're just doing it themselves. They stop breathing. They're, you know, they're holding all of these things where you just three little things. You just change their life. But this person's been for 15 years trying to, you know, lift. And I've been doing this for so long. And I have all, most of my clients are that way. They come to us extremely broken and kind of like, dude, what do I do? I've Mm -hmm. been doing CrossFit. I've been doing all of these things, which I, I I feel blessed to be in that position. Um, Because when they kind of get their eyes opened, it is, um, they are very, um, you know, as they say, uh, information drives compliance. Uh, They are just very compliant and they do a lot of their work. As you know, Tom, um, dude. 
kind of reversed a lot of things in his life. You know, two full shoulder replacements. Dude doesn't have a limb, right? You know, lower limb. Um, there's just a lot of things going on that he's being able to kind of reverse with a different mindset. And it's very refreshing to be able to be in that space. Yeah, I get you. And I, I think that's where we're coming to the table on this thing is trying to help people be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's taking shit off the plate. Mm-hmm. Right. And and reversing the thought process a little bit. It's not about getting stronger, or putting more weight on the bar or whatever. That's great. And and that may that may be what you need to do down the line, but maybe peel back the layers of the onion here and let's look back at what we can do to gain performance without having to add another ounce to the bar, maybe sure. actually taking weight off the bar in some cases, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever that means. But you're, what you're, what you're talking about is breaking it down to its constituent parts. Just again, just like you would through your shooting mechanics mm-hmm. and making sure what you're doing is uh, fundamentally sound and repeatable so that it becomes automatic. Yep. Right. And over time, this takes a long time. This is, you're not going to, you know, if you're a new to your point, if you're a new shooter, right. And you go out onto, onto the, to the range, right. You can usually see like a, a massive amount of improvement in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, because you haven't been, maybe you haven't learned any bad habits yet, or you're, you're not overthinking it. You're just listening to your coach and you're just doing what you're, what you're told. But if you're coming at this, from a performance perspective, I've been an operator for this long. I've been an LEO for this long. I've been a firefighter for this long or whatever the case is. And I've been training for this many years and I'm stronger than this. And, you know, and all those kind of things. And you're coming in with this, uh, basically this, this structure that's been molded, right. And, and is tight and has this fibrotic tissue and, you know, you're dealing with a certain amount of pain getting you to have the, uh, you know, the massive results is going to take lots of time, lots of repetitions. We basically have to unfuck everything right to a certain extent to get you uh, to a place where performance will improve right now. It's about improving the basics and that can be a very hard or tough place for somebody to get their head around, particularly if they've been the strongest dude in the room or the fastest athlete or the person that graduated at the top of their class or who's the best shooter, but is also the worst fucking mover. We know those people, mm-hmm. right. That, that are out there and they're always comparing. Yeah, but I do this better. Yeah. But if you're looking at a holistic approach to your, to being prepared for kind of whatever life throws at you and particularly with regard to being fit for action mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, and you are in the tactical space or you want to become better tact, uh, um, from a performance perspective, tactically, you really need to think like you thought maybe as an original shooter or as a brand new shooter and start to break it down. And also to your point, again, that is don't try to look for all the fucking secrets and learn them today so that you can be better tomorrow. Like start to look and research and understand what you need specifically for you and what you need to apply over the long term for the long haul so that you get the true benefits uh, uh, of it over time. We, I, I mean, I just suggested, look, there are a lot of free videos that we have in order for people to go, to go look at. And, and these are instructional videos. This is not just like music playing in the background. And this is mm-hmm. actually in your, in this yeah. case, this is you walking them through some of those things. And we've attached those to programming that people can get from us as well. But the free content is there for people to kind of explore mm-hmm. The things that you're you're talking about. The interesting part about it is that if you watch it enough times or you repeat it enough times, each time you do it, you're going to find something new, yep. right? It's to be the same as if you're a coach working with a client, mm-hmm. whether it's on the range or on the, on the floor. 
each time you work with them, you're going to find something new to work on um, it while continuing yeah. To make better what you every reps and assessment every right? single time. You know, right? I don't just look at the assessment one time and that's it, right? Like, hey, what's going on today with your shoulder? You know, like you might have slept in a weird position and like we're talking about the hips, you rotate a little bit, and I kind of see when you're bench pressing one arm, one shoulder's higher. Hey, let's there's a little things that can happen and go on. So yeah, over time, every rep, every movement is assessment, looking at my client, what can we do better? What can we what can we approach and what can we tackle? Yeah. So again, it's mindset. And again, coming into the beginning of this, this episode being performance training for the tactical athlete, um, my goal in this was thinking more of your performance training needs to start with proper mindset, which are proper fundamentals, which starts with a proper mindset. Mm-hmm. And We've talked a lot about terms like mobility, right? Stability. Mm-hmm. You've, you've dropped some very technical terms in there that we wouldn't expect anybody, uh, you know, a lot of people listening to, to understand. Some people would maybe want to nerd out on it and talk about it a little bit more. The bottom line is, is rethinking your training as a tactical athlete to taking it back to basics so that you can have longevity and truly express the skill, the strength, the power, the speed, the agility and the talent that you have um, at every level at all times and be able to do it repeatedly. Um, And then with that, having such a strong level of understanding of it that you can then come back to it to know how to tweak and turn and twist dials and toggle switches in order to continue to be better uh, the next time. Um, It started a little bit on the pain thing because that's kind of your background and coming from the, the pain. I would, I would hedge some bets that 90% of the people that we work, we work with on the range and in the gym are all suffering from some type of pain they would like to be out of. Um, and the things that you've suggested, we, we know like you can spend a few minutes with somebody on the floor uh, and immediately they get some relief. It's, it's not generally longer term, mm-hmm. right? But they can immediately get the relief, which then opens their eyes to, fuck, if I just maybe implemented a little bit of this in my life on a regular basis, how much better would I be if I had known this five years ago, how much better would I be? And I think it's the point I'm trying to get across uh, with regard to, you know, thinking about your performance, your performance training, because just showing up to the range two days a week is not going to, that eventually there's going to be a, uh, uh, your, your return on investment is going to, there's going to be a point of diminishing returns. Yeah. There's going to be a point of diminishing returns. You know, what's funny is I had a client, just came back from a vacation, been working for a long time. Right. Um, he comes to me, he goes, dude, the hip cars, man, saved my life. And I'm like, fucking kidding me. Been, yeah, I know. Like, that's why I showed him to you. And he's like, no, 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 no. But you don't understand. Like with this certain application, he was like, I get on my bike and I, I, he did do hip cars before and after. And he's like, it just, he just said it changed his life. He said he, it, everyone was getting massages. I guess they were on like a big bike ride with everybody. Everyone's getting massages and hurting these they're not hurting. They're walking out. They're doing their hip cars. They're feeling like after I'm done with my hip cars, it just flushed everything out. And it's just this awareness piece that comes with doing it. And then like, kind of like for what activity are you doing? Why am I training like this? And it just kind of being able to see those, those light up in the clients for me is like money. Right. And, and uh, it's like weird. It is. Weird. I've been telling you that for like a year and now finally you're doing it. And like, you're like, yeah, I told you that shit a year ago. Um, but for me, it's like, not, it's just natural. Right. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, it was blurting the shit out of my mouth. Yeah. And some people are like, what? Maybe that's on me. But, you know, um, it is it's it's just nice when all of a sudden it's kind of awareness piece on the client. It's life. It's a game changer. It's it's life changers uh, for people. And, um, you know, I, I think, again, to that point it is hip cars are not super sexy. Right. Mm, but the benefit mm. you could get as an individual on the back end is immense. 
And so as a result, it's not something you're going to see being often shared on the, on the internet um, or through the interwebs, like the Instagram and shit like that. You're still going to see the heavy deadlift videos. You're going to see the kipping pull-up videos that are, seem to be wildly popular right now. You're going to see all of that kind of stuff right now, because that's what people apparently want to see, or that's what Instagram thinks people want to see. Um, go to the YouTube channel, check out, uh, go to red dot fitness, YouTube channel, check out Jeff's videos. Uh, there's about two dozen of them there on all different kinds of movement patterns. We go through things like the cars that he just mentioned, some Eldoa postures that he just mentioned and some, uh, functional range conditioning, uh, uh, movement patterns in Jeff's way, uh, of kind of combining those things and taking the best of all of those worlds to what he's termed uh, resilience conditioning sessions uh, to help people gain that stability, gain that mobility, gain that strength um, so that they can ultimately build on their performance. Uh, where can we find you on Instagram, Jeff? My handle is 408JMACK. All right. Follow uh, 408JMAC uh, on, on the Instagram. Jeff. Thanks for joining me today, dude. Appreciate you. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Yep. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>